I'm Dr. Sarah Hales Britton. I'm Luke Patrick. And I'm Sam Siegel. And welcome to Greased Lightning, a podcast where we talk about myth and the movies. Hey guys. Hey. How's everybody so, doing? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty decent. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we're we're all fresh from watching uh, The Princess Bride. Yup. And so, of course, Sarah, what's your relationship with The Princess Bride? This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. <laughs> I I can't remember a time in my life before I had seen The Princess Bride. Um, it's it's always been a family favorite. Um, I guess it had sort of oh. been a while since I'd watched it this time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I absolutely adore this movie. Um, I could, I should probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just fan girl. <laughs> How about you guys? Hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, I guess. Luke, do you... Let me go because yours is going to be the most interesting, okay. Sam. As a as a spoiler sure. alert, as a newbie to this movie, um, a virgin, as if a, you will, a Princess Bride virgin. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I miss the childhood nostalgia period for this. I never saw it until I was like a teenager i might have seen it with you sarah at some point i honestly don't remember but i watched it with somebody I, ar- yeah around I the teenage space yeah. yeah yeah um <laughs> and it's and loved it naturally um but yeah it's just interesting to arrive at something that uh, for a lot of people is like such a nostalgia trip and something they grew up with and to just see it for the first time as like a burgeoning adult was uh, an awesome experience. It's just weird because everyone's like, "Oh yeah, exactly what you said, Sarah." It's like I don't remember a time I didn't see that I hadn't seen this movie. Um, so that's pretty wild. Which leads us to you, Sam. Yeah, thirty-one years I have gone without seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. Dare I say um, that is inconceivable? Inconceivable. <laughs> it is inconceivable. Um, yeah. So. I I had only heard references to the movie, um, none of which made a uh, lick of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, lot of lot of inconceivables, a lot of uh, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> prepare to die. Um, the the rodents heard a lot about the rodents. None of it. it I so I had all these pieces. I did not understand how any of them fit together, mm-hmm. and so I spent. I would say 31 years thinking, hey, this movie kind of sounds like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then I sat down with, uh, with some homemade tacos and I watched it. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that, I think. I don't want to give anything away right now. Okay. Uh, but I did watch it uh, with the wife who, uh, she has seen it before. I think, but it's been a while. So, so yeah, I had my uh, uh, my innocence uh, taken from me last night. Yeah, <laughs> by the by the movie, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, yeah. let me ask you guys this: We now we know your relationship to the Princess Bride. Now, uh, have you ever heard of the ancient Greek novels? Hmm. Outside of you mentioning, like through Instagram, your dissertation, no. 
Yeah, I think I I know absolutely nothing about ancient Greek novels, mm-hmm. like literally zero. So today is going to be very educational. Excellent! Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, loving yeah. the the Mr. Burns fingers you got going there. <laughs> <laughs> I I love being able to introduce people to these novels. Um, like most PhDs, if you ask me what I wrote my dissertation on and you are too nice to tell me to shut up when you've heard enough, I could talk about these forever. Um, I just think they're absolutely fascinating. Um, And until very recently, we're pretty understudied. So so I guess let's just jump into it. The ancient Greek novels. Um, There are five of these novels which have survived more or less intact from ancient times. Okay. There were more. We, we know there were more because we have fragments of some of them. Um, but uh, there's not enough to really talk about those. And so mm-hmm. it's really just the five whole ones um, that are often studied. Um, and those are the five that I wrote my dissertation on. Um, and so they get called the big five. Um, okay. And these were written in the first, roughly in the first four centuries CE. So this is the Roman Empire and its disintegration, <laughs> basically, okay. uh, is this time period. Um, the last couple centuries of, of this period, um, we get into what's called late antiquity. Um, mm-hmm. So starting in like the third-ish century, third and fourth centuries CE. Um, and then it's about a 500-year period, depending depending on who you ask <laughs> when that time okay. period ends. Um, but late antiquity, um, the Roman Empire at this point is enormous like absolutely massive but it is also really starting to fracture and become politically unstable um there's just an absolute mess every time um the emperorship changes hands um Mm -hmm. a lot of emperors get murdered by their guards who then you know pick their favorite guy to be the next emperor um there's disease there's religious clashes um in this period of time we get uh constantine who was the first quote-unquote christian emperor Mm -hmm. um and then later on about i don't know 50 60 years after that we get the mass christianization of the empire um you have places like greece that used to be independent that are now roman provinces that you know life in these places looks very very different than what they think of as their true selves lives would look like so so for for the greeks for example this would be like classical era greece fourth and fifth centuries ce that's like what they Mm -hmm. that's always what they hearken back to as like these this was our golden era um and Mm -hmm. it's about a you know a thousand years later now and we're really bummed out that we're not like that anymore (laughs) we hate Mm -hmm. the romans right um so basically this is just a very tumultuous period of time in history when these novels are being written. Um, so these are, they're not just comforting stories from the bygone glory days of ancient Greece, though they are that, um, but they mm-hmm. are also just chock full of references and allusions to Homer, to Plato, to the academic debates of the day. I mean, rhetorical, philosophical, moral, all of this is like wrapped up in these stories uh, and in the way that they that the authors write. Um, so there's a ton going on in these novels beyond just the actual like story themselves. 
Um, gotcha. The authors of these novels are generally unknown quantities. Um, we know their names oh. because they tell us their names. But mm-hmm. they're not like other ancient authors where, like Plato, right? We know a lot about Plato as an actual mm-hmm. historical person. We know a lot about Herodotus as, and Thucydides as people. Um, we know a lot about the Roman poets, right? We know tons about them. We have no idea who these fuckers are. Um, we don't even know if these are like their real <laughs> names, right? These could be pen names. Uh-huh. We just, we have no idea. There's one guy, um, the oldest novel, um, the, the oldest one of the five that we have. Uh, the guy starts the novel by saying his name is Caraton of Aphrodisius. Um, and I think he's like a, he's a clerk. Mm-hmm. Um, at least he says he is. Um, so this is just like a middle-class Joe writing this. There's another author who um, has been somewhat controversially identified as a Christian bishop. Um, mm-hmm. That that seems like a stretch to me, but I guess it's possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe he converted after he wrote this. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we just really don't know who these guys are. So it's really just the stories themselves that we have to go on here. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, when I try to describe these novels to people who have never heard of them i usually describe them as the princess bride but in the ancient mediterranean oh, um, oh and, okay yeah and uh shameless plug uh i wrote two whole blog posts about this a couple years ago um so if this episode is just not enough for you go to mediapalatina.com and put princess bride in the search bar um if you want to look at some Princess Bride memes and hear about this in a different format. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, so basically what happens in these novels, these are episodic adventure romance novels. So you have a pair of star crossed lovers who Mm -hmm. are, you know, just like surpassingly divinely beautiful, of course. Um, And they fall in love at first sight and then they are separated by some kind of outside force and they have to overcome a bunch of obstacles and go through a bunch of trials in order to be reunited in marriage at the end. Mm. Um, so that's okay. the adventure romance part. By episodic, I mean, we we jump from one adventure or one like danger scene to the next, not necessarily in any logical or predictable way. Um, okay. A lot of times there's just like sort of obstacles for the sake of obstacles. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they are actually quite similar across all of the novels. So there's a lot of getting kidnapped by pirates. There's a lot of shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of powerful foreigners making offers of marriage to the two lovers. Um, okay. There's a lot of attempted rape. Um, never successful, though. Um, there's a lot of military battles. There's a lot of mistaken identity, false deaths. Um, so one person thinks that they're, the other is dead. Right. And has to decide, mm-hmm. okay, well, so am I going to kill myself or am I going to go on? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and all, also all of these novels, except for one involve the protagonists traveling away from home. So they leave home and all these things happen to them and then they're reunited okay. and they come home and they like take their place in the social order basically. Mm. Um, so, so is it fair to say that these are like, kind of the the first novels with with that kind of like structure or like uh, trope i guess yeah i think it is i think it is um there's there's other works that um 
that sort of follow similar patterns. So a lot of Mm -hmm. times folks will reference like the Odyssey as a pattern for these novels because there's a lot of episodic adventure in the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. You know, he jumps from one group of terrifying people who are trying to kill him to the next. Um, And works like Jason and the Argonauts, um, which is a Hellenistic uh, work also sort of involves you know travel and star-crossed lovers and all of that but those are okay. also very firmly like those are mythological stories and those are sort of mm-hmm. more more firmly ensconced in the world of myth so one of the interesting things about these novels is that um they're just stories about regular people um hmm. so they're not myth oh. they're not myth so much as they are like fairy tales or legends Mm-hmm. Um, they do often involve little digressions that are mythic. Um, and so involving like divine characters or some sort of religious whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. like in one novel, um, there's a scene where they're telling the story of Daphne, of Daphne and Apollo. There's one where they see a painting of, um, Procne and Philomela, which is a very dark myth. Um, so they tell that mm-hmm. story. Um, there's, um, one where they tell the story of Echo and Narcissus. Um, There's also a really interesting scene in one of these novels. It's called Daphnis and Chloe by a guy named Longus. Um, And Chloe is kidnapped by pirates. And when the god Pan comes to help rescue her, he tells the pirates, like, "You, you can't have her because Eros wants to make a mythos of her. So Eros wants to make a myth out of Chloe. Meaning oh. she might be elevated to the same status as like mortal women from myth. So people like Semele, people like Andromeda, right? All of these other women that we know oh. from myth. Eros wants to elevate her to that level, her story. Uh, it's mm-hmm. also, though, just like a really cute way for the author to say that he hopes his character, Chloe, mm. will become like mythic oh. and legendary, right? I want lots of people to read my books and for everyone to know who Chloe is. That kind of thing. <laughs> mm. so. Oh, some kind of guerrilla marketing. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it is a pretty uh, pretty unique thing for the time period. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that there's that they were understudied for a long time, or that people don't always know how to describe them, is because of that and because um we don't have any literary criticism of these novels from their own time period um and like the greeks especially romans too but the greeks especially were very into lit crit um and we have Mm -hmm. a lot of early lit crit of homer um and hesiod from uh the period of time when the alexandrian library was was really Mm -hmm. going strong um, Hellenistic authors loved to write commentaries on older works. And then later on, um, Roman poets would pull from these older Greek poets and would, you know, write commentaries. And then like, you could see the influence of this older poetry on what they were doing. Um, we don't have that for the novels. Uh, so, so yeah, um, I guess just a little, (laughs) I'm kind of, I'm going to rant for just a minute about mm-hmm. uh, oh please classical yeah. scholarship um i'm gonna put a link to my the volume of translations that i use for studying these novels in the show mm-hmm. notes um because the translations are great um and 
reading, you know, if you want to learn ancient Greek and read these in Greek, great. They're fun. Um, but you don't need to do that. Um, if you're going to do any digging on the novels though, or if you want to, if you like read the little introductions to these translations, you need to know that, uh, the ancient novels were not taken seriously as literature worth studying basically into the last 40 years. Mm. Um, and oh, up to wow. that point, class classicists like studied them occasionally. Um, they knew mm -hmm. they existed, but they thought of them almost exclusively as the ancient equivalent of like shitty detective thrillers that you keep on your nightstand, but that you would never discuss oh. with your colleagues or your mm -hmm. like, class of friends. So they argued that the reason we don't have a genre classification from antiquity or any ancient lit crit of these novels is because the ancient elite writers who did that kind of thing would have been ashamed to admit that they read these. Um, mm -hmm. When that's, that's not why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the people who did lit crit in ancient times in, in late antiquity, first of all, um, there was there's not a whole lot of lit crit that survives from that period of time. What does mm -hmm. survive? They don't touch anything from their own time period. Anything at oh. all. They are looking back and they are rehashing criticism of older literature that has already been studied for several hundred years because it's escapism for them. They're trying to, to like sort of at least mentally get themselves back to a time, right, when like Greece was stronger or there wasn't a new emperor every 15 minutes or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Like it's so the idea that like these uh, late antique authors aren't talking about the novels because they didn't read them or like they thought they were trash or whatever is such bullshit. Um, and it's mm -hmm. just lazy. Uh, scholarship yeah. so much of like the late 19th early 20th century writings on these novels are just lazy scholarship um it's just amazing to me like it's so hard to get papers published now and the shit that people cranked out in like very respected journals in these time in this time period is just like how how um modern scholars just had like no qualms whatsoever about basically just writing their own opinions about these novels being trashy without actually really basing it in anything. Mm, um, mm. It's pretty appalling to look back. And um, unfortunately, that attitude does still exist in some scholarship today. But for the most part, mm -hmm. people are now looking at these novels for what they are, which is very learned works of literature written by very clever authors who were showing off their own erudition just as much as they were trying to entertain people. Um, gotcha. And these novels, these novels reward careful and close reading, just as much as other ancient literature does. Um, I'll get off my soapbox now, but uh, that's my <laughs> that's my ancient novel soapbox. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that those um, those uh, scholars uh, are just shitty men, right? Oh yeah, oh they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it always is. It always. always is. Oh, they're so gross. They're so gross. I read. I read some of this, some of these articles for my dissertation, mm -hmm. and then there were others where I only got halfway through. Like, okay, this is the third <laughs> gross thing you've said. I'm not going to learn anything from this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So, 
Were the were the novels like popular in their own time? Do we have any indication of that? We don't really have any indication, unfortunately, but we do think they were popular in their time. So um, okay. there are folks who study ancient li- like literacy in different time periods. Um, and this is not something that I'm at all an expert in. I basically, I barely scratched the surface of this when I was looking at these novels, but um, it is something you have to consider with this kind of literature where it's written in a, um, the Greek is much easier in these novels mm-hmm. than it is with some of the other things we've talked about. Mm. Um, so it's a lot quicker read. Um, e- I mean, easier for us as well as, as it would have been for them. Um, and it's, you know, fun stories that keep you engaged. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not real, you know, they are very educated and there are lots of allusions, like I said, to Homer and Mm -hmm. other works like that. So if you know those, if if you're educated and you know those works, you'll get more out of the novels. But you don't have to know those things in order to really enjoy the story and still get a lot out of it. So um, there are certain scholars, and I sort of agree with this, that think... um, these novels were popular in a, um, in a couple of different ways. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they would have been read by like upper middle class and upper class folks who could actually read, right? The very small mm-hmm. segment of the population who could actually read. But um, recitations were very popular in antiquity. And so mm-hmm. um, the, the thinking is that someone in the household who could read would read the novel aloud to all the other members of the household or to like other members of the community who couldn't read. So these novels reached a pretty wide swath of the population in that way. Okay. Um, and, and this is sort of a stupid question. It like, okay. So I'm, I'm thinking about like how, uh, like music and TV and, and, really just media in general that is directed toward like a younger more feminine audience now tends to get discounted because it is for a younger feminine audience and not necessarily on any qualities on its own is this a similar was that even a thing yes absolutely um and i'm really glad you brought that up because it's something that i forgot to talk about but it is actually quite important um and like features in the i talked about that a little bit in the intro of my dissertation one of the one of the tools that like early 20th century scholars used to discount these novels is that they were mm-hmm. written for women or mm-hmm. written by women um, using male pen oh. names. Um, and basically the entire argument for these being written by women is that the heroines are like really great characters. Oh, so it's stupid girl, stupid girly novels for girly yeah. girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and that's why we shouldn't this, pay attention. There was to this it. delightful shift when uh, <laughs> when people started arguing, like actually, like looking at all the at all the evidence. No, these probably were written by men, not by women. Mm-hmm. Um, then suddenly, magically, they became worth studying. Imagine mm. that! Oh, look at that. Maybe they weren't There's... trash after all. There's nothing behind that. No. Oh my god. No. Oh. <laughs> Studying the novels no, could be really no frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm frustrated and I haven't studied them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know, the fact that there's the um the heroines are, are well rounded and like strong characters and the heroes tend to spend a lot of time sitting around feeling sorry for themselves. 
Um, mm-hmm. Or like they're just not as good at getting themselves out of trouble as the heroines are. Um, that was often used as an argument for, for female authorship. Um, gotcha. It's, you know, it's possible, but it's pretty unlikely. Um, but it is, it is still possible for sure. Um, there, we know of a few female authors from antiquity, um, but very little of their stuff survives. Um, Mm. and you know, if these, like I said, these authors are unknowns. So if one of them was a woman writing with a pen name, there is absolutely no way for us to ever find out, Mm. you know, who she was or, or if that's real. So it could go either way. Um, it, it's also very likely that these novels had a mixed gender audience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just like most ancient canonical literature, uh, Mm -hmm. everybody, everybody read these. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I just have one more thing that I wanted to say because I can't help myself um, because I wrote my dissertation on these novels. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I really love about these, the thing that I wrote about um, is the way they think about vision and visual culture and the okay. way they portray women through that lens. So. Mm the heroine but also other women characters also female goddesses also women in paintings or women in sculpted form right works of art that the protagonists encounter on their travels um Mm -hmm. and so the 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 literary and rhetorical way that women are described is very important we can learn a lot from the the way that they're described the comparisons that are used the word choices that are used in Greek for these passages. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the heroines are very often compared to um, Aphrodite and Artemis, but not directly. Like they're not compared to the goddesses themselves. They're compared to artistic depictions of the goddess. So they'll, so there's one character, one heroine who looks just like the cult statue of Aphrodite in the temple. Mm Mm-hmm. Does the cult statue look like Aphrodite? Who knows? <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody can handle actually looking at Aphrodite, right? But but this right. chick looks just like the cult statue of Aphrodite. So when she's in the temple and this other guy walks in, he thinks that he's seeing an epiphany of the goddess. Like she's come mm. to visit the temple. Oh, and he okay. freaks the fuck out. <laughs> so there's that. Um, there's uh, a lot of these heroines actually meet the hero at like a religious festival. And there are a couple mm-hmm. where they're in the processional dressed as Artemis. So they're like a living personification of the goddess in this moment. Um, and there's oh, one okay. character in particular who, who does that quite a bit. Um, there's another heroine who is basically a walking painting of Andromeda. She's separated from her parents at birth, and the way they recognize mm-hmm. her is they go and get this painting of Andromeda out of their bedroom, and she looks just like the painting. Um, mm-hmm. So, she, her mother looked at this painting apparently like right at the moment of conception, and so the baby came out looking just like the painting. Is what that's how it there. works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, be careful where your eyes wander to um, <laughs> in your afternoon delight. <laughs> I, I got to get that gargoyle out of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Oh God! <laughs> it's a that's a that's a hazard now. It's a major plot point of this particular novel, though, because this heroine is the long lost 
long-lost princess of Ethiopia. Her parents are the Ethiopian king and queen. But mm-hmm. could not... And Andromeda is, like, associated with Ethiopia, but canonically, and also we've talked about, right, artistically, um, women are portrayed with paler skin. So mm-hmm. mom looks at this painting of Andromeda in her bedroom where Andromeda is white. Baby comes out white from black mm, parents. Yeah. Mom is terrified she's going to be accused of adultery even mm-hmm, though she mm-hmm. hasn't done anything wrong, right? So this right. is why the kid gets given away. And she tells her husband that the baby died. Um, but uh-huh. the kid instead has been spirited away and ends up, she ends up being adopted by this Greek man and she's raised in Greece and yada, yada, yada. Um, and she makes her way home <laughs> at the end of the novel. So it's like a, she gets to be with her beloved hero, but it's also a reunion with her parents. Um, but okay. yeah, so at the end, the, the way they finally convince mom is convinced pretty early on. She realizes it. Mm-hmm. The way they convince dad is they go get the painting of Andromeda and they hold it up right next to her. And then he's like, aha. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but there's like really interesting descriptions of art. There's one novel in particular by a guy named Achilles Tatius where the narrator it's narrated by the hero. Most usually these are mm-hmm. done in like third person. Um, but this one's narrated by the hero himself. And he describes a lot of the art that he sees on his travels in great detail. Um, and in, he describes the beautiful women in the paintings in the same terms as he describes the heroine. So like, and when he first mm-hmm. meets her, he's so struck by her because she looks like a painting of mm-hmm. Selene, the goddess of the moon that he's seen before. And so he's sort of like half the reason he's in love with this woman is because he thinks she looks like a work of art. Um, Excellent. So he's like very into his own erudition, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the novels with like um, relationships to goddesses and sort of art versus life stuff that's going Mm -hmm. on. Um, They're just, they're just so full of interesting and fun little tidbits Everyone should mm-hmm. read these. <laughs> they sound like a really good time. Yeah, they They're, do. They are fantastic. They are fantastic. Um, do you guys well, mind uh, if I jump on a, a, my own mini soapbox really quick? Go um, for it. Sure. Now, I haven't written a dissertation on this, so this is going to be not as organized. Um, but it's really fascinating to me, this this dispersion that people are casting on these novels that you've you've experienced and have tried to rectify, Sarah, because, like, that shit persists today, specifically for genre fiction and even more so for young adult fiction, both of which cater mm-hmm. to, uh, at least in the modern day, an audience that is queer or not a dude, um, especially young adult fiction is oftentimes aimed at young women. Um, mm-hmm. and they're, they're treated the same way. Like it's treated as not a intelligent piece of art or any art that's worth consuming. So yeah, I guess I don't think our audience is probably in this bucket, but if it is you who has a particular bias against young adult or genre fiction, maybe reconsider, uh, and don't be like these mm-hmm. old crusty white guy classicists. We just talked about that dismiss stuff, um, and are missing out on a lot yeah. of fun and a lot of, uh, really cool art. Oh, yeah. And I mean, absolutely. it happens with pop music, too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, pe- people absolutely discount, you know, like uh, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, Taylor Swift, you know, uh, the like, because they make music that is particularly popular among young women. Yeah. And so it is therefore undeserving of any sort of like critical praise. Yeah. But like, 
they've done some fucking bops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, CRJ is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have not listened to a lot of Taylor Swift, but I imagine she's probably pretty talented as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Enjoy enjoy what you enjoy and explore new areas that maybe you don't often sure. uh, poke at, including these novels. It sounds like these things sound awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What oh are my they God. called? I love these. Okay. So the oldest one by this guy, Caraton, is called Kyrius and Kaliroe. Those are the names of the Kyrius is the hero, Kaliroe is the heroine. Um, so gotcha. it's just named after them. She's the one that looks like a statue of Aphrodite. Um, this okay. is also the only novel where one of the protagonists actually does get remarried. Um, they frequently get sort of forced into engagements to other mm-hmm. people in order to like protect themselves or the other person or whatever. Um, but they never go through with it, except in this one. <laughs> uh, that one happens. Uh, and it's fascinating. Um, then there's one by a guy named Xenophon of Ephesus. And that one is just called the Ephesian tale. Um, we don't actually know if Xenophon was from Ephesus, but his novel is about people from Ephesus. So we think he was too. Um, mm-hmm. okay. th- that one's much shorter, um, a lot less flowery stuff going on, um, mm-hmm. but still really entertaining, still a cool story. Um, and in that one, there's like an Oracle at the beginning that tells you everything that's going to happen to them, um, mm-hmm. sort of broad strokes. And then the rest of the novel is sort of like the fulfillment of that Oracle. You see all these things happen to them. Mm, okay. Um, and so that one, like I said, that one's just called the Ephesian tale. Um, there's the next one is, um, the first one I read in Greek um, is called Leucippe and Clytophon by Achilles Tatius. Um, so Leucippe is the heroine, Clytophon is the hero and narrator. Um, he's a very mm-hmm. unreliable narrator. Uh, that one is very interesting. Lots of digressions, um, mm-hmm. describing art, you know, talking philosophy. Um, he's sort of all over the place um, and very into himself, but uh, it's fun. And then nice. um, Daphnis and Chloe is by Longus. This is the one where there's no travel. Um, the whole story takes place on the island of Lesbos. So mm. they're not going out and having adventures on the high seas. The high seas have to come to them. So mm, these, okay. there's like a pirate raid on the coast and Chloe is kidnapped at one point. Um, there is this time where some like they're basically described as like asshole teenagers from one of the nearby <laughs> towns come mm-hmm. and like their idea of a good time is to like harass the farm the farming community <laughs> and so they like <laughs> steal a bunch of cattle <laughs> and they have to like go there's um an antagonist actually another suitor for chloe's hand um dies trying to defend his cattle from these people oh, um, damn. and so then Daph- Daphnis who is the hero uh, avenges um, helps avenge uh, his death um, and get well actually no oh I got that backwards Chloe is the one who avenges his death He's Daphnis has been kidnapped with the cows uh, mm, okay. <laughs> and this dying cowherd gives his like set of pipes to Chloe and is like, I have trained the cows to come when I play this tune. So play the tune and get my cattle back and avenge my life on these like horrible <laughs> people. And so she plays the song and all the cows jump off the boat and start swimming to shore and uh, the <laughs> boat like capsizes. It's a whole 
It's oh, a trip. Um, damn. I love that one. That's probably yeah. a good one to start with, actually. Daphnis and okay. Chloe by Longus. And then the longest novel by far is um, called uh, The Ethiopica. So The Ethiopian Tale. Um, this mm-hmm. is the one about the um, princess, long lost princess of Ethiopia, right. who looks like Andromeda, um, by Heliodorus. This is the guy that some people think was possibly a Christian bishop. Mm. Um, okay. The novel itself is not Christian, but it is mm-hmm. significantly more chaste than the other. I mean, all these novels are chaste, I should say. Um, this is the ancient world. Okay. You don't do sexy times before marriage. Um, and you don't really even describe sexy times after marriage unless you're Ovid and then you get yourself banished to the Black Sea. So nobody does this. Um, <laughs> so they're very chaste, right? There's basically no description of wedding nights. Um, Mm -hmm. except for like one very euphemistic line. (laughs) Um, there's like occasional kisses. That's pretty much it. Um, but the, the heroine of Heliodorus's novel is like militant about her virginity. She's actually Mm. sworn perpetual virginity in honor of Artemis. And then she meets this guy and she's like, well, fuck. (laughs) And so she's like actually really angry about falling in love because this is screwing Mm -hmm. up her perpetual virginity plans. Um, So, so that one, like I said, that is super long, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's sort of got like bits and pieces of all the other novels in it Mm -hmm. um, put together in a really interesting way. So it's the only one that doesn't tell the story in a linear fashion. You start in the middle. So you meet them on the beach when they're surrounded by dead pirates <laughs> and okay. the heroine has like her arrow and quiver, um, her like quiver full of arrows and her bow. And the hero is like wounded and just like sort of like laying on the beach, trying to get himself back together. Um, mm-hmm. This is where we meet them. And then you spend the first half of the novel learning how they met and how they got to this point where they're surrounded by dead pirates on the beach. Um it's super, and then the story goes on from there. It's it's super fascinating, but it's very very long. So like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend reading that one unless you've already read one of the other the other novels and decided that you like this kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> um, okay. Because even for me, there are portions of that that are like, is this is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, yeah. So given that your average novel is like three hundred pages, like commercial fiction, how how long are we talking for for all these guys? are we talking um that's a great question i have my my volume of translations here let me just like look at the page numbers real quick um okay so kyrius and kaliroi the oldest one Mm -hmm. this is a just over a hundred pages long oh wow okay oh um okay now i will say these are these are sort of big pages with dense type um -hmm. but just over a hundred pages for that one the really long one Heliodorus is um, just under 250 pages. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So they're shorter. Okay. They're shorter than the average novel today. Yeah, um, gotcha. It's just a question of like, are you used to reading ancient literature, which can be a little bit dense. For sure. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a couple questions? One Please that do. I think you have mostly answered, but um, one. Can you break off one of these euphemisms for sex? (laughs) (laughs) Let me find... Okay, the last line of Longus 
There, in some of these novels, the hero and heroine get married at the beginning, and then they're separated. Mm-hmm. Um, in Longest, they get married at the end. And, oh, okay, this is another really funny thing that happens in here. They're trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to have sex. Um, and they mm-hmm. can't figure it out. So they don't manage to actually have sex until their wedding night. So, you know, everything is... Basically, it's okay and it's funny that they can't figure it out because they don't mm-hmm. succeed, right? Gotcha. If they had succeeded in figuring it out, that would be a no-no. Um, but they are, like, right. they're literally, like, uh, they're a shepherd and a goat herd. And so they're out mm-hmm. in the fields and they're, like, watching the goats. They're like, well, let's try it like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't work. Um, eventually, this other woman comes along and, like, shows deafness how to do things right so mm-hmm. he has sex with this other lady um she's not a real threat though so everything is fine um so here's this is like the last two lines in the novel um this other lady is named lacanian just okay she's her name's gonna be in here okay so um daphnis and chloe lay down naked together embraced and kissed and had even less sleep that night than the owls Daphnis did some of the things Lacanian taught him. And then, for the first time, Chloe found out that what they had done in the woods had been nothing but shepherd's games. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Steamy. That's ancient literature? This is fucking steamy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That is righteous. That's uh, beautiful. I love it. Um, it it does basically answer my other question, which was, was there ancient smut? This is it. You're looking at it. Um, Fuck yes. Yeah. This and Ovid, <laughs> which I think we talked mm-hmm. about. Ovid's like sex manuals or like seduction mm-hmm. manuals. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you did your dissertation on ancient smut. It's pretty great, That's right? powerful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like very fun, interesting ancient smut, but... Highly I, educated you know. smut, yeah. Sure, yeah. It, uh, a, cere- a cerebral smut. Yes. Yeah, a real, a real <laughs> Chuck Tingle, if you will. <laughs> a thinker. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, man. <sighs> God, Shepherd's Games. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, do we, do we want to start talking about the Princess Bride? Let's do it. Okay. Cause, cause guess what, folks? I had a good goddamn time. Yay! <laughs> Excellent. This, this movie's fun as hell. Yes. Um, Isn't it? Yeah, it's real, it's got very, like, snappy dialogue, it's really well shot. I feel like it's pretty different from anything else I'd seen. Uh, it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm already like noticing some similarities. Like, uh, it does seem like the exceedingly Jewish grandpa is like the oracle for this that that you yeah. were describing in in uh, one of the novels. Yeah, and there's also, one of the novels also has a frame narrative, so the whole thing is a story Mm -hmm. within a story, which is exactly what this movie is, right? Grandpa is reading the book to us, and that's Mm -hmm. sort of, one of these novels is set up in almost exactly the same way. Oh, excellent, because yeah, you know that part at the beginning where he's like, there's kissing, there's sword fights, there's swamps, (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, that's that's him being an oracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, also, I outside of Criminal Minds, I think this is the only time I've seen Mandy Patinkin in anything. Mm. <laughs> and uh, just a newsflash for everyone, the man can act. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew Mandy Patiktok could could act so good? He is also just like one of the most phenomenal human beings. I mm-hmm. he's just he's such a good person. And yeah. And so it's so wonderful that like a good person also has like the most iconic line of this movie and is like one of the most lovable characters in this mm-hmm. cast of extremely lovable oh, yeah. characters. <laughs> yes. I also, from his TikTok, uh, which again, outside of Criminal Minds, uh, was the only other product that I had seen of, of Mandy Patinkin. Um, he, uh, he was talking about actually like this role and particularly the fight at the end because apparently his father had like died not too uh, long before from cancer. And so he looked at that fight as like he was fighting the cancer. Damn. So if he could, if he could kill the cancer that killed his dad, and it's just like this very touching TikTok, and he's like crying while he's doing it. I'm and gonna I'm cry like, listening oh my, to you talk about yeah. this. Oh my god! And I was like, Jesus, fuck this guy. He's so <laughs> nice, and this is rough to listen to. But holy hell, and then you see, I finally saw the scene, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it knowing is, that yeah. that's behind it is like, really adds a lot of weight to it. Yeah. Oh, um, definitely. Absolutely. But yeah. yeah, I, god damn, this is fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I missed this. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't either. I fucking love this movie. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's so iconic. Um, and I have to say, this watch this is the so been watching this movie forever but it's been Mm -hmm. a few years at this point since i've seen it um Mm -hmm. and re-watching it made me realize how much i quote this movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) how much of my like conversation patterns come from this movie (laughs) so like frequently my mom and i if one of us asks a question of the other like instead of saying maybe the other one will say it's possible pink (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I use the I feel fine quite a bit and like, <laughs> there's just this movie is infinitely quotable I, yeah. absolutely, yes. I absolutely love it I think my favorite Stuff that about- gets used a whole lot is love true love anytime yes. love gets <laughs> uh, mentioned that one pops out of me so yeah, yeah. see <laughs> I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed basically everything that fell out of Billy Crystal. Oh, Billy Crystal. Yes. Uh, Billy Crystal is cruise control to a funny movie. Like It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh but in particular his like supremely like weird and Jewish performance as a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> it's so so good. Miracle yeah. Max uh, is where I learned what mutton was. Where he's talking mm-hmm. about the mutton lettuce and tomato oh, sandwich. Yes. Yeah. I did not know yes. what mutton was until that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for me, it's a small detail with his performance, but at the very end, when his wife says, "Like, do you think it'll work?" and then his comedic delivery of the line, "It'd take a miracle," 
is just perfection. Like, it's such a yes. small line, but oh, his yeah. delivery of it is, like, comedic timing masterclass. It's so funny. Yes. And it's it's got that ring of, like, very, like, vintage, like, comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. it's all just, like, like thinky, smart phrases said at just the right moment. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in a lot of ways, this movie feels sort of out of its time. Because even mm. though it's, like, 1987, it, f- it feels a lot older at times. Like, you have the <laughs> fencing, which yeah. I feel like fencing is, was a big thing in, like, uh, like the 60s. Like the thir- well, yeah, yeah it went 60- through phases, right? So, like, early, really early movies, there were a lot of action shots, mm-hmm. like your Errol Flynn era. And then, like, when, yes. when, um, in the 60s, when we got kind of back into, like, big dramatic productions of stuff, yeah, you got mm-hmm. kind of a resurgence, but yeah. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Uh, which I've also not mm-hmm. seen. Um, but, you know, just stuff like that. Like, it, it harkens back to that in a lot of ways. And so I like that um, it it feels like a, a send-up of, like, classic cinema. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, I will say, did, did some of the sword fighting go on a little longer than I would have liked? Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> yeah. I think, for me, it kind of works because it's it's humorous sword fighting. Like, there's times where like, oh, sure. someone is, like, halfway bent over, fighting behind their back or fighting between their legs or whatever. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's done for effect. It is not just yeah. a Game of Thrones-style beatdown for... You know, yeah, like I'm thinking the the fight between Inigo Montoya and, and Wesley uh, at the very like towards the beginning, mm. where we get the twist of like neither one of them is left-handed, and then the fight goes on for like another five minutes, mm. and I was like, could have cut two of these minutes. Mm. Okay. That's fair, yeah. Because I found myself like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I need more to happen. Um, but otherwise, just great. Um, I, I I am distressed at how large Andre the Giant was. Yes. Because um, yeah. his, his hand looks like it could easily crush my skull. He was almost seven feet tall. So, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And just, I mean, mittens. Mm-hmm. Just, they're so, they're so big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, I spent a lot of time convincing myself that no, he is real or was. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you haven't, yeah. if you haven't seen it, go Google Andre the Giant holding a beer can because there's many photos of him holding a 12 ounce beer can, and it makes it look like one of those mini su- sodas, except even smaller. <laughs> like the guy's hands were ginormous. He yeah. also apparently had like a massive alcohol tolerance yes um Mm. but also so he's his like his ring name was andre the giant right but apparently his Mm. nickname was andre the drunk um he Mm. once like passed out he like drank too much at the hotel bar passed out in the lobby they couldn't move him like the hotel staff because he was such a big person they had to leave him there all night (laughs) until he came to toss him a blanket he he drank like eighty beers. <laughs> Jesus Christ! 
Yeah. Crazy. Oh my God, Andre, Jesus. I uh, yeah, um, I had to skim the the Andre the Giant Wikipedia page this morning while I was watching because mm-hmm. I realized like I don't actually, I don't actually know like how tall was this yeah. man, and then that yeah, one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. I have a bad habit of reading Wikipedia pages for everyone involved with a movie while I'm watching it. I'd say, oh, yeah. I'd say that's a great and universal habit. If you don't do that, you're a weirdo. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I, so I did have a question. Um, the the person who works in the torture chamber, uh, not, not Count Rugen, who built his own suck machine, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think he's but just the other called guy. the albino. I don't think he has a name. Okay. Is that Hagrid? I don't think so. Okay, cuz I, I thought he looked know. a little like Hagrid and but you I know, don't I don't know. I don't know anything. Yeah. Mm, can't can't confirm or deny, it, but I see folks looking it up. So I'm going to fill dead mm-hmm. air while everybody googles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am super yeah, curious I don't know. My page this. isn't loading, so we may have to circle back to this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Luke, do you have any high points? Billy Crystal, for sure, carries... carries. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, the guy is just dynamite in everything he's in. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, gave me flashbacks of the other podcast we do when we watch The Tooth Fairy. Uh, oh, absolutely. Elevated that movie to high art just by him being in it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I actually really liked, um, I think, so I was going to ask this, Sarah, because comparing these two, these ancient novels, I feel like there's got to be slightly more narrative structure, but it's similar. I'm seeing what you're talking about as far as like them being just in random, like troubling or challenging situations. Uh, But is it true that there's like, there's more through lines maybe in this movie than there are in the, the ancient novels as far as like how they got to where they were going and that kind of stuff yes i think so yeah i think the biggest comparison to the like sort of random hopping from one thing to the next is like um we go from like wrestling andre the giant to a battle of wits with iocane powder Mm. to the fire swamp like yeah fuck did the fire swamp come from you know yes Mm -hmm. um like that that little uh progression in particular is a little more representative of the just like, and then we got kidnapped by pirates uh, yeah. <laughs> stuff in the novels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just like comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then this lady fell in love with me, you know, and so there's just like, there's, there's, I think, yes, there is definitely more of a through line in this movie than there is in some of the novels in particular. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I do like how, I think, for me, what really, really works about this movie and like what I focused on rewatching it is that the narrative conceit of the fact that this is being told to a child by a grandpa um, really makes mm-hmm. this movie shine because it gets to do stuff like that. Like you said, like we're just going from like one challenge, a fencing challenge, to a wrestling, to Iocane powder, like. It's a story for a kid, and it gets to be free of a lot of the like more rigid narrative structure that comes with like a fantasy movie I guess we could kind of call this or even like a rom-com or Mm -hmm. an action movie it just gets to kind of be kind of like you said Sam like its own thing it's sort of its own little mini genre and that's pretty beautiful and I think it absolutely works 
Well, and they they play with that framing device so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, during the eel scene, where you know he uh, he gets stopped, and he's like, "Okay, well, let me find out where we were." So he just like kind of runs through it, and it's got that like drunk history moment where mm-hmm. he's saying a line and the person's mouthing it. Yes. And then he's he's like, "Yeah, and the the eel is something something something." Ah, here we are. And it like cuts through the action that you just saw. Um, I also loved towards the end uh, when the kid is like, "See, blah 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 blah," and he goes, "Yes, you're very smart. Now shut up." That's my <laughs> one of my favorite parts. <laughs> yeah. The part that my mom always quotes is when um, when the kid gets fed up and he's, "Who kills Humperdinck?" And Grandpa says, "He like he lives." And the kid says, "Jesus, Grandpa, what you read me this thing for?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's all so good um I do have a, a handful of questions uh, for y'all go for it um so if the rodents are of unusual size that to do y'all think that it's just they're big or they're some exceedingly small rodents Somehow the idea of really tiny rodents is even creepier to me than yeah, like giant Ant, ones. So for Ant the sake Rex. of my own like mental well-being, I'm going to say they're only big. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. True. yeah. No micro, one wants an ant-sized rat. No. Micro rodent is not good. Nothing about mm-hmm. that is, is savory. Yeah. No. 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 Not at all. Um... Okay, so so the other question is at at the end of it, he's describing their final kiss, and he says that there have been five great passionate kisses, but he never names them, <laughs> and I I need to know ah. one of those five other kisses. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I f- I feel like a do Romeo and Juliet kiss. Think so. I believe okay. so. Technic- I think technically yeah. they get married. So okay. yeah, I think they yeah, I'm I'm outing myself as as a complete idiot. Um but uh yeah, I so that's gotta be one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think so. Okay. I think I mean how serious do you want to be about this, Sam? Not. Okay. It's Luke, it's me. <laughs> yeah, it is you. Just checking, because I think, like, Antony and Cleopatra, that's a pretty epic kiss. Sparked a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. Paris and Andromeda, right? I'm terrible with names. That's their names. Helen. Right? Paris and Helen. Helen, excuse me. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I've learned things on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I think you lose grease lightning points for that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think I'm um, negative. I think... Um, I think it would be kind of funny if Cleopatra is actually two of these kisses because before she was with Mark Antony, she was with his friend Julius Caesar. True. Ooh, that's excellent. Yes. She gets a yes, double yes. dip. Yes. She's a double dipper here. So. Okay. So we're up to okay. four. We just need one more now. We need one more big wet kiss. <laughs> Ew. Um. It's got to yeah. be the kiss in uh, Tom Hanks's big. You think uh, that's not, the other great one? Uh, not volunteers, for some reason. I feel like that's more obscure. 
yeah. and and spittier. But uh, yeah. and this just is the, uh, uh, this is not that podcast, but I will allow it. The jury will will yeah. allow it. The judge and jury, yeah. For sure. Everyone loves uh, the big beautiful kiss between an adult woman and a child in an adult man's body. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of one of the top five most passionate kisses in human history. At least on one side. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say really quick? So mm-hmm. you mentioned that there are probably lots of novels that we don't know about. I love to mm-hmm. think there's a universe in which somebody in ancient Greece or late antiquity wrote the entire plot of Big, just like in a fever dream, <laughs> made Big, yes. and then it was lost to time. <laughs> yes. I like, but what would the Zoltar machine be? Hmm. In an ancient Greek big. Maybe like a wordy fishmonger? I don't know. (laughs) A wordy fishmonger? Luke, what the (laughs) fuck even is that? I mean, there were oracles in the ancient world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe the kid goes to the oracle. And he's like, like, I wish I were big. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. You're now a toy executive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Amazing. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Um Yes. How do how do we feel about Wesley's tiny tiny ponytail and tiny tiny mustache? Bad. Mm. Um v- very negatively. Okay. It it grew on me during the course of this oh, film no. my gut reaction to it Mm-mm. especially the mustache was not a great one but over time i don't know kind of come came came to enjoy it i just for me now that you bring it up it does challenge the notion that this is one of the greatest kisses of all time because that mustache is involved mm. that's yeah. fair that's fair and i i feel like that dampens it just a bit because it it was thin it was small like you take an inch on either side and it is hitler's mustache it's true it's true so i and i was upset at the reveal of the ponytail because it is so tiny it doesn't need to be there it really doesn't yeah i think because i have seen this movie so many times and because like for so much of my childhood uh Harry Elwes is like the height of a romantic hero for me. Mm, okay. uh, I've sort of like, I'm a little bit immune to some of the effect of the tiny ponytail and tiny mustache. However, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have been personally victimized by multiple mustaches. And so generally I am anti-mustache. <laughs> I think <laughs> you, you know, because, because this movie is what it is, I can handle the tiny mustache, but I wish it wasn't there. I'm yeah. sorry, Sam, I broke you. It's just... I'm sorry, it just fucking got me. I feel like I've won the lottery. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen you laugh this hard. Oh, fuck, I don't even... Just go on without me a <laughs> Like in an epic uh in an epic war film, we're just gonna leave you. We're gonna keep the troops moving. <laughs> yep. Oh man. 
I do have to say um, one thing. Well, this is another thing, I guess. And, um, oh my God, he's still dying over there. <laughs> Sam's still going. Sam, th <laughs> this is something that, like, I think was said quite a bit at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Um, so another time, Sam, that <clears throat> you would have seen this movie referenced and not understood it. Um, the stuff about mm -hmm. people in masks can't be trusted and. Why do you wear a mask? Oh, it's just that they're terribly comfortable. Everyone will be wearing them in the future. Um, I uh -huh. remember memes going around about, like, Wesley predicts the future. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he was wearing his wrong, though. He was. Yeah. No um, nose coverage. No nose coverage in that mask. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it. <laughs> I'm sure... At some point in the pandemic, I did see someone just wearing their mask on their forehead uh, <laughs> and eyes. But, you know, he needs he needs someone to sit him down and be like, but it's supposed to cover the mouth and the nose. Um, yeah. Those those are the germ holes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, really quickly, um, too, if you mm -hmm. have an hour... During the pandemic, another intersection of the pandemic in this movie, um, there is about 200 celebrities that were boarded in quarantine that remade this movie shot for shot. Um, I'm sorry. And it, is, and it is available on YouTube. We're talking like everybody, literally everybody you can name shot an individual like scene or two in this movie. And then they stitched it all together into one epic home movie. And it is low mm -hmm. budget as hell, and it's so fun. So go check that it out. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm gonna fucking write that down. Yeah, it's an incredible time. Jack Black in particular, his scenes are phenomenal. There's a lot of kids involved too. It's like celebrities acting out this movie with their children, which is just incredibly endearing. Aww, so that's yeah. charming. Just a just a great time. Uh, we actually watched quite a bit of it after finishing this movie yesterday. Mm -hmm. So, well worth nice. watching it. It's all on YouTube. <laughs> Can I tell you who I think would be a great casting for uh, for sex icon Wallace Shorn? Mm-hmm. It's Nick Kroll. Well, buddy, I have great news <laughs> for you. Read this home movie. Yes! Because <laughs> there's a scene, uh, it's where Wallace Shorn, uh, again, sex icon, is um, laughing. After he yeah. thinks that he poisoned uh, Wesley. And I was like, oh, this is just, this is like the prototype for Nick Kroll. Yeah, the proto-Kroll. just like Nick Kroll. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, fuck. buddy, I have amazing news for you. Uh, <laughs> if you want to see grainy iPhone footage of Nick Kroll performing those parts, <laughs> you in fact can consume that today. Uh, I, I think you know me well enough to know that that is everything I'm looking for. Yeah. That is fantastic. I mean, uh, so, so Sarah, what is your favorite scene in the movie? Oh my God. Or your favorite part of the movie? That's a really hard question. Yeah. Um, I have a, okay. I have a couple of favorites. Um, mm -hmm. one favorite is, um, Buttercup's, like, fever dream where the king dies and they get married, like, mm -hmm. during the night and then there's that woman booing her. 
mm-hmm. the queen of filth, the queen of putrescence. That's one of my favorite parts. Mm, um, so good. I think my other favorite part, probably my number one, though, is the scene where Fezzik and Inigo give Wesley the pill to wake him up. And he, like, mm-hmm. wakes up swinging, or he would be swinging if he could move his arms. And then they have to, like, plan their attack on the castle, and they're going through mm-hmm. that, and Inigo keeps, like, harassing Wesley for, for plans and information, and Fezzik is going, he, you know, don't pester him, he's had a hard day, and Wesley mm-hmm. is upset about why his <laughs> yes. arms won't move, and he says, you've been mostly dead all day. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, that all their, the three of them, their interactions and their plans just get me every yes. time. <laughs> Uh, can can I just also single out another scene that got a big laugh uh, from us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is after the wedding um, when the king is walking Buttercup uh, down the hall and she gives him a hug and she's like, you've been so nice to me, I'm gonna go kill myself now. And he's like, oh, so, oh, so sweet. Yes. It's so nice. <laughs> she hugged me. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> The senile king is so amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh, just, it's it's so good. I don't know if you noticed, um, Sam, also in the background, every time um, Humperdinck is, like, talking to the people, mm-hmm. every anytime there's, like, a cheer in the background, the king is, like, doing this little wave, like, yes, hello. Like, he still thinks that they're cheering for him for some reason. <laughs> like, no I awareness of what's going on. <laughs> oh, my God. See, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I I absolutely get why people, one, love the movie, and two, uh, watch it so much. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, do do we have anything else we want to say? Um, well, Luke, do you have a favorite scene? Uh, I was hoping to dodge, because my answer is a bit of a cop-out, which is anything that Andre does in this movie Mm. uh i just love the guy i have a particular soft spot for him uh i don't know something about just him and his life that i find really cool and he's french Mm -hmm. so that's pretty dope um but yeah any any time he they they really they could have gone in a different direction with his character which is like the big brute that uses monosyllabic sort of answers to things Mm -hmm. but they didn't like he's you know smart and has funny kind things to say so i think in particular one of my favorite scenes is when uh they're having the the wrestling match um him and carrie always and uh yeah that's just it's really charming and quite fun Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Nice. No, he he's definitely uh, a shining part of this movie. Yes, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And his rhymes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, the rhymes <laughs> so good. Um. All right. Well. Uh. With that. Uh. Let's see. What are we watching next week? Not next, next week. Next time. Next time. <laughs> it's oh shit! It's Gladiator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up for a tonal tonal whiplash here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the next, snap the next, our necks. These like three episodes are going to be crazy tonal whiplash. Um, the because the one after Gladiator is also uh, and and now for something completely different mm-hmm. moment. So yeah, holy hell! Well, yeah. we're in for for a damn treat. Mm. So uh, 
Until then, folks, uh, you can find us on Facebook at Greased Lightning Podcast. That's uh, G-R-E-E-C-E-D. Uh, you can also find us uh, on Twitter at Greased Lightning Pod, you, or uh, Greased Light on Twitter. Sorry. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at uh, Greased Light Pod. You can send us an email at Greased Light Pod and uh, at gmail.com. I'm goofing this up in a big, big way. Um, and then, Sarah, your blog again was Medea Palatina. That's right. MediaPalatina.com. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for, for another great episode, and thank you all for listening to Grease Lightning. We'll be back next time with Gladiator. <laughs>